So this morning we'll be thinking about true religion, uh, true religion from those verses that we have, we have read. It's very important that we uh, listen very carefully. I remember sitting in the church, the Osaka Baptist Church, some many years ago, and uh, the preacher then preached um, such a sermon that touched you know, many people, but there was one particular man who was so convicted that he actually failed to um, stand up from his, you know, from his seat. He was just there until one of the church leaders went to him and basically helped him and he became a Christian that day. We have just sung, Master, speak. There's a tendency sometimes that we attend church as a routine. That we have heard good messages many times. And it becomes just a routine to attend church. That we must have that prayerful heart that, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me so that I not uh, you know bypass as it were do not pass me you know by now as you uh, look at the book of james you must bear this big picture in mind that uh, uh the book of james is about two ways you know two ways to live there are two ways to live in this world there is the way of the world and there is the way you know of the cross there's a way of people hearing sermons are not doing anything, you know, about it. They are hearers of the words, but they are not doers, you know, of the word. Without action, doctrine is useless. There must be action when we embrace, you know, doctrine uh, that we have, you know, we have learned. And as we read, you know, earlier on, if you turn back to that. Um, a passage in James chapter 2 and verse 17. Verse 17, James chapter 2. It says, sorry, let's get to the passage. Um, James chapter 2 and verse 17. We have this that. Uh, So, it says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right? Faith without works is dead. So James has this um, kind of comparison. He put it, put it away as a way of comparison. There are people who are doers of the words, and there are people who are not doers of the words. Don't just be hearers of the word, but put what you hear in practice. Chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man 
who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and, and goes away and at once forgets what he you know, was like. But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be uh, blessed in his doing. A very simple illustration which everybody knows. Um, the mirror. Maybe the ladies are more familiar with the mirror than the men. All right, the man maybe is going through the mirror, combed the hair, maybe he has even forgotten about this and the other. You know, but uh, the ladies are very particular. You know, where what they have seen, they want to change. If they want to change it, they will change it. So what you what you saying is, you don't look at the mirror and see that you make, need to make changes. And only you don't do, you know, the changes at all. What's the point? What's the point? Here is the word of God, which tells you sin is sin. This is the word of God which points certain things to you. And you can hear what you have, uh, you, have, you have read in the scriptures. What is the point of not doing anything about it? The Bible says, unless you repent, you will perish. And you hear that word, and you don't repent. It is basically foolishness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It is just like looking in a mirror and seeing that something needs to be changed and you don't change it at all. And so it is with the word, you know, of God. When you hear God's word, you must put it into practice. So James is saying there are two ways to live here. You listen to God's word, you either act on it, or you're one who doesn't act on it. I wonder how many times you have been in the church, not necessarily here, but maybe you have gone to many churches in this, in this world. But how many times have you heard God's word and it has spoken directly to you about a particular issue in life and you have ignored it? You have not done anything about it. Change is necessary after you hear, you know, God's word. Our sanctification is by listening to God's word, applying it, you know, in our lives. Put away things that are not right before God. That is, that is what the Bible is trying to tell us here. Be a doer of the word and not just, you know, listening to God's word. Let's not have a, a religion of attending Bible study, attending prayer meeting, attending church, attending conferences, the heart remains the same. There are things that the Bible has pointed out to you, and you know you need to change, and then you don't change. That is worthless as far as you know, the Lord is concerned. Whatever I know that I need to do right, I need to do it. Be a doer of the world. So my friend, are you sure that you have actually obeyed the Lord in terms of coming to know him in a very personal way? And if you are a Christian, have you obeyed you know, God's words as you read it you know, daily? One of the things I used to do 
which uh, maybe I don't do the same these days as, as, as when I just became a Christian. Um, as I, I was at a secondary school where there was a very strong scripture union group, and they used to have these booklets for our daily reading, the daily power, and the daily guide. And uh, on a daily basis, I'd read my passage and be able to write down uh, what I have learned in that particular you know, passage on a daily basis. And uh, after, you know, after a number of years, I'd go back and uh, see the things that I you know, needed to change as, as I read through that. And that was very, very helpful along the years. That, that uh, reading the scriptures and seeing what needs to change in me and putting it into practice. And I, I, I became a child of God in 1970 and I haven't looked back to go back to the world. Not that, not that I'm perfect, not at all. But each time that I see something that the Lord is pointing to me, that I need to change, it's important that there is change. Religion that is true requires obedience to the word of God. And I hope we are able to get to that point. What James is trying to say here is it's pointless hearing God's word and doing nothing you know, about it. We need to do something about it. And you know, it involves so many areas in our lives. You talk about a family. There are things that we have been doing and the word has spoken to us about our families that we are not doing well. And we need to change. It may be things to do with finances. We have not been giving to the church, for example, as we ought to. There is need to change. There may be things to do with our, um, our friends. Maybe they are friends that we no longer talk to uh, because they did something bad to us. And the Bible says you need to forgive one another. And when you hear that word, do you act on it? It may be uh, you know, to do with um, you know, just ministry. You, know, you have a gift that God has given you. And the Lord is saying, you are supposed to be helping maybe with the children, maybe with the teenagers, or maybe evangelism in one way or the other. Every Christian has a gift. And the Lord speaks to you about that. And you don't do anything about it. James says there are two ways to live. There are those that obey God's word and those that don't obey you know, God's word. So there are many areas of life you can apply to you know, in, in this way. But the point is, when you see something in Scripture, when the Lord convicts you by His Spirit about something in your life, there is need to obey. Don't wait until you die. You don't, you don't know when you're going to die. Right? We don't know when we're going to die. It can come any time. And therefore, we need to change while we're still alive. That's the first point that I want us to think about. The second one is to do with the tongue. Right? We read something about the tongue here. In chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The tongue, good and bad uh, use of the tongue. If you go to James chapter 3, 
and verse 6. James 3, verse 6, the Bible reads, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, uh, full of deadly uh, poison. With it we bless our Lord, our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What is he saying there? Are the usage of the tongue. It is with the tongue that we gossip. It is with the tongue that we pray. It is with the tongue that we encourage other people. It is with the tongue that we say bad things about people behind their back. So what James says here is that there are two ways to live. You either use the tongue in the right way or you use the tongue in the wrong way. And again, this will apply in many, many areas of life. Between husbands you know, and wife, for those who are married. Between the employee and the employer. Between the parents and the child. Between fellow, you know, church members, how you use the tongue matters. That's what he's saying here. If you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a child of God, therefore you are going to be mindful how you use your tongue. You're going to be mindful how you use your tongue. Don't use it in such a way to just injure, you know, that person so that they, they feel it as it were. It's the tongue that we use to praise God with. How can we use the same tongue to curse others, to gossip, to blaspheme, to do all sorts of kinds of things? Uh, true religion requires that the tongue is used properly. And there are guidelines in Scripture on how we can use the tongue. See, marriages are broken up. Why? Because of the use of the tongue in some cases. Churches have split as a result of the way people have used the tongue. Countries have gone to war simply because of the use of the tongue. And so it, it's, it's a fire, as, as the Bible says, it's a fire. The way we use it must be such that there is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. You know, out, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the Lord has changed our hearts, then we are going to produce something that is pleasing to Him. But if there is no change within us, anything can come out from, from the mouth. You don't need to stay with someone for very long to know that they are not believers. Just because of the way they speak. Because what comes out is exactly what they are. And so we need to uh, make sure that uh, we watch how we use our tongues. 
let the tongue be controlled by the Holy Spirit himself. Remember this, James is saying there are two ways to live. In true religion, the tongue is used properly. And if you find every now and then you can't control your tongue, like I heard somebody who was boasting that, uh, you know, me, I'm short-tempered. What's the point of boasting, you know, about that? Uh, temper. It, it, it has to be controlled if you're a child of God. Bear that in mind. It's something very important. When you're choosing leaders, you look at the way they use their tongues. They must be above reproach if they are going to be leaders in the church. That's very important. How do you use your tongue? Do you use it for evangelism? Or do you use it to injure someone else? Or we need to, to each one of us, examine ourselves and see uh, that we're doing it to the glory you know, of our God. The third, the third thing I want to bring out from this passage is to do with the care. I think I deliberately gave that uh, talk to the children about care. Care for the widow, care for the orphan. In the Old Testament, it was clearly stated uh, that the widows needed to be looked after, the orphans needed to be looked after. People that were uh, financially you know, in problems, in difficulties, people who had no one to support them financially, they are to be cared you know, for. And we are looking at uh, people that are vulnerable here. People who cannot fend you know, for themselves. People who are in need of help. And, uh, and, and the Bible brings out here that uh, there are two ways to live. You either care or you don't care. There are two ways to live. That comes out very, very clearly here. And you know, for Christians, it's, it's, it's obvious if you are a, a, a church, you ought to be caring for one another. The first people to care for are the fellow believers before we even go out to the non-believers. The first place for care is in the home. And it's the, the hardest way to live as a Christian is in the home because we, we know each other very 100%, you know. You know when your friend is uh, not being truthful. Between right? a married couple, between the, the parents and children, there has to be care at that level. And then, of course, caring for one another in the church. You don't deliberately, in the church meeting, want to you know, like tell off someone else because of their opinion, you don't agree with them. Even there, there must be care how we talk to one another at the church level. But this particular care here had to do with those that were vulnerable and very needy. Um, that, you know, the people of God needed to attend to. And so each church should have a way of assessing, right? The, the contexts are very, very different. Um, I, I used to work for Friends International for about, you know, 10 years, Kent and London. 
and uh, we used to use this uh, what you'd call the felt needs of students. So we'd find like uh, Chinese students they want to practice English. Yeah, we set up a, a global cafe so that they can you know practice the English. That is a uh, that is their need, right? The African students they want to find to find a job, and so you help them how to write their CV. And I want to want to want to work and make money or something like that. So whatever the need is, then you try and meet that need to provide the friendship, so that one day you can be able to say to them, "What are you doing on Sunday? You know, would you like to come to church with me?" And you found that, uh, especially the hospitality one, worked very well. Uh, it's very much involved in Canterbury, where you know there's. Real examples, you know, a student comes from Portugal and uh, during the vacation they, uh, they live with uh, a Christian couple. They live with a Christian couple in Canterbury and at the end of that holiday they end up stepping in church and they become a Christian. Okay. There's, a, there's a story of uh, a Congolese student who came to study in Wales. And the Christian couple invited that man for a meal. They became friends as a result of hospitality. You know, that man ended up going to church and became a Christian. And when he went back to Congo, he was the one interpreting for the president. And so wherever the president went, he was with that particular president. And so you'd find his witnessing to presidents in New York. Right? So you don't know what the person is going to be like, but when you provide the hospitality, when students come, there are different kinds of needs. For, for some of them, it's that kind of hospitality that they, they would, would appreciate. You know, for others, they may just need um, help with learning how to, I mean, how to speak English better. <laughs> I mean, there are different needs that they may have. And so as a result of that, you're actually getting closer to people and uh, you know, helping them you know, to be friends and eventually hear the gospel. So what I'm saying is, every congregation can be, assess, can be able to assess its community and say, what are the felt needs in this particular place? You know, for us in Bethesden, we have a lot of retired people in the village and they're very lonely. And so we find that when we have a coffee in our morning, on a Monday morning, there's so many of them come to church. Right, to come and uh, socialize, you know, talk to somebody over a cup of tea, and in the process they hear the gospel. And we leave it up to the Lord, you know, as to when they can come to know the Lord. So now what the point I'm saying here is we need to assess what are the needs of this community and how can we care. There are some people who don't care about people, and, and you as a child of God. You have a primary responsibility, first of all, to care spiritually. But as you care spiritually for the community, it's bound to lead into some practical, you know, help where uh, people are in serious, you know, problems. You find with all these bills going up like three times, and you find a family that in winter, you know, they cannot even switch on the heating system. And they are church members. And we don't know about that. That we need 
to be aware of the needs that we have in our midst so that we can be able to care you know, for one another. We have had uh, a lot of situations in Zambia where they find the church identified, that identifies someone who could not go to school because they didn't have any money. And when the church takes care of that child, it's amazing you know, what, uh, you know, what happens. The development that is there and, and perhaps at the right time they even come to know the Lord. Simply because the church cared. So we need to be a caring church. I mean, it's, it's basically a command from the Lord. But we need to assess what the actual needs are. Because sometimes we may be doing things that are not really, you know, caring. That we need to make sure we identify what these needs are. So each church can be able to do that. So my, my last point um, this morning is to do with the living um, a holy or a worldly, you know, kind of life. Just in the same passage that we, we read there. At the end it says, and keep oneself unstained from the world. Worldliness. Again, there are two ways to live here. Either you live a holy life or you live a life that is not holy. Our basis of holiness is on what Christ has done in our lives. And on that basis, we strive for that righteousness which he has covered, you know, covered us with. But you know, even people that have come to know the Lord can deliberately be living lives that are not pleasing you know, to God. Two ways to live, holy, old, and holy. Let me just read 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from uh, the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides in our forever. Three things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, that, those are the challenges that, uh, you know, we are given. I remember attending a seminar. Um, about four weeks. We had a training about four weeks. And uh, this, this was in, in, in Hawaii, trying to train leaders from all over the world. And um, our trainers, one of our trainers was saying that when you consider a male leaders, the enemies... The enemies of the male Christian leader, he put it in this way, is this girl, gold, or glory. Then he put it differently. He says it's female, finance, and firm. And if you look at First John chapter 2, and these verses that we have read, you find these things are coming out here again. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride 
you know, of life. These are things that preoccupy uh, people of this world. Sexual issues, your money uh, matters, wanting to, you know, to be as rich as they can be, and just pomp and ceremony as it were, to be known, to be noticed, to be famous. And that is what preoccupies people of the world. But you know, there are two ways to live. You either live the way of the world, or you live the way of the cross. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes, you know, judgment. We can live the way of the world, but at the end of the day, we must give an account for what we have done with the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered. The Lord Jesus Christ, you know, died on the cross. Right? Crucified on the cross, he died. He was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And on that basis, we are going to be judged. You cannot live a holy life without coming to know the Lord in a very personal way. There must be a change within your heart. My son, give me your heart. That's what the Bible says. Give me your heart. You know, the, the, the battle is on the heart of man. Who do we surrender to? The pleasures of this life or to the Lord Jesus Christ? We must come out very clear on these matters. There are two ways to live. Either the way of the cross or the way of the world. Where there is no Lord Jesus Christ in their preaching or teaching, then you know it is the way of the world. Because there is only one way that we can come to God. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How are we in terms of relating you know, to the Lord Jesus Christ? Which kind of you know, life are we living? Is it the life of the cross or the life of the world? At the end of the day, what James is saying is you are either with the Lord Jesus Christ or you are lost forever. Let's just pray together briefly. Our Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word and pray that each one of us may learn something that we can apply. Let's not be just hearers of the word, but people who put it into practice. For this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.